Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, grab them and turn to Zechariah chapter 1. Zechariah 1. We're going to spend the majority of our time in Zechariah 4 this morning, but uh, want to begin here in just a moment in Zechariah chapter 1. Uh, before diving into this message, just want to say thank you for your continued prayers for our faith family in this season. I want to say thank you guys for praying for our, our elders as they continue to seek and discern God's will and his way, his best for our church. And to all of you guys that uh, came out on Thursday night uh, to pray for our faith family. It was amazing to be together on Thursday. Thank you for coming. I don't know that I've ever seen so many guys show up for prayer. Uh, maybe it was the pizza. <laughs> Um, I've never been so proud of our church than seeing 75 guys or so praying here and a bunch of guys praying where they were for our church. So thank you so much for praying and please continue to pray and to respond as God leads. So uh, Zechariah chapter one, I'm just gonna read the introduction here to this book. I'm gonna read it from the message paraphrase, the first four verses says this, in the eighth month of the second year in the reign of Darius, God's message came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Idio. God was very angry with your ancestors. So he gave to the people this message from God of the angel armies, come back to me and I'll come back to you. Don't be like your parents. The old time prophets called out to them, a message from God of the angel armies. Leave your evil life, quit your evil practices, but they ignored everything I said to them and stubbornly refused to listen. A really, really clear message uh, that we've been saying over and over for the last several weeks, come back to me. The summer study that we've been in with the minor prophets, that invitation, come back to me, come back to me, God says, come on back to me. Pretty crazy introduction uh, to this book. God says, don't be like your parents, leave your evil life, quit your evil practices. But they ignored everything I said and they stubbornly refused to listen. How's that for an introduction? If you got a letter from a friend and the letter began this way, how would that take you? Well, uh, if it would sort of set you off a little bit, um, this is just the beginning. This book leads to a really wild ride just real quick, show of hands, how many of you guys like kind of a story that has a beginning and a middle and an end and it's kind of a linear progression? Like you feel like you know where it's going. There aren't too many twists and turns. It just kind of starts and stops where you think it's going to go. How many of you guys like to read stories like that? Yeah. If that's you, this book would drive you absolutely nuts. This book starts and stops. It goes forwards and backwards. This piece connects to this piece. It's not all in uh, order that makes total sense. This book of Zechariah is filled with visions and poems and this crazy imagery. And it certainly doesn't follow a linear thought. And that's part of the point. How many of your lives follow a linear way or a linear thought? Uh, this book is much more like our lives. Um, I'm not sure about your life, but my life has never fit into a neat or orderly pattern. Uh, my story's been full of starts and stops and twists and turns, and it's been full of sufferings and celebrations that I never saw coming. 
Even now, Zechariah's prophecy invites us to look above all of the craziness, to look above all of the chaos of our lives and to hope and to trust that God's kingdom could be lived out in the here and now, right here, right now, while we wait, while we wait for God to make all things new. So uh, Zechariah um, is this, it's really one big vision. The prophecy is really one big vision, but it's broken up into eight small visions or dreams that Zechariah has all on one night. This whole thing happens in one night. Um, so uh, the vision that we're going to look at here um, is in chapter four. The vision is given to the prophet Zechariah, but it's really for two people. It's really for a guy named Zerubbabel, who's sort of, if you will, the political leader of the people of Israel, and Joshua, who is the great high priest. Zerubbabel is descendant of David, really prominent leader of his day. And then Joshua, the high priest, he's also a really big deal. These two, are, these two guys, really important guys in Israel. And the beginning of Zechariah chapter 4 and the end of Zechariah chapter 4 tell about how, why these guys are important. It kind of pulls these guys out. But one more really important piece of context before we get into the heart of Zechariah 4 and the vision. How many of you guys are familiar with this verse? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Anybody know this verse? Raise, raise your hand if you know this verse. Lot, this is a really popular verse. Lots of people know this verse. This verse uh, we hold on to in times of suffering or in times of challenges. We say, okay, well, God's got a plan for us and God's going to take care of us. But the verse that comes right before this verse, Jeremiah 29.10 says this. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise and bring you back to this place. God does have a plan and a purpose for your life. His plan is for you to prosper. But guess what? He says, there's going to be 70 years of exile. There's going to be 70 years of pain, 70 years of suffering, 70 years where you don't get to do anything that you want. And after the 70 years are over, then I know the plans that I have for you. Plans not to harm you, plans to prosper you, give you hope and a future. Some of us know a little bit of that uh, journey. Some of us know a little bit of that pain. Some of us know a little bit of that beauty. It's a really, really great truth. It's really, really true, even now. But that's the context of what's happening when the people are hearing, when Zechariah, when Zechariah is giving this prophecy, that's the context of what is happening. The people of Israel are now coming back. The 70 years are over and the people are now coming back to Jerusalem. God's promise uh, is for a hope and a future. And this is really, really good news. And these guys, uh, they get this vision that their primary call is to rebuild the temple. Um, there's uh, all kinds of things that are happening, uh, going on in the very first couple of verses of Zechariah chapter four. But I want us to start in Zechariah chapter four, verse six. So here's what God calls these guys to do. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, 
but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. This whole idea of rebuild, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? For before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. And then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple and his hands will also complete it. And then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Verse 10, who dares despise the day of small things since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. So Zerubbabel is called to rebuild this temple. The temple has not only been desecrated, it has been totally, totally destroyed. Only memories remain and a big pile of rocks. Zerubbabel knows how important uh, the temple is to the people of Israel. It was their center. It was their anchor. It gave them a sense of belonging. They believed that the presence of the Lord lived in this temple. And it's really amazing uh, Zerubbabel starts making plans. Uh, he starts getting his strategy together. He starts enlisting people to sign up for different jobs. I don't know that they had an app for like sign up sheets to help rebuild the temple, but uh, probably not. But that's what he was doing. And God says, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Zerubbabel. There is a way. There is a way. This is how this rebuild is going to happen. Verse six, it's not by might. And it's not by your power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. The temple is not going to be rebuilt by sheer strength. And it's not going to be rebuilt by willpower. This rebuild is going to happen. Growth is going to happen. Grace is going to happen. But it's going to happen when we're in step with the spirit. Notice the call here is not for Zerubbabel to stand back and let God do all the work. The call here is for Zerubbabel to partner with God in his work, to partner with the Spirit in the rebuilding of the temple. Hopefully none of you guys have had to rebuild uh, your home. Like hopefully none of your houses have ever got knocked down and all that was left was bricks and hardy plank. But there are some in this room here today that are working on rebuilding your lives. I have a couple here who are trying to rebuild their marriage. A widow who is longing for hope. Business owner who's trying to figure out how to overcome bankruptcy. Or an addict who's trying to get clean and stay clean, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Think about the challenges that we face every day as a church, the challenges that we're facing now, the challenges that you face and that I face in our everyday ordinary lives. You and I are not gonna solve our problems like the rebuild of our marriage through a five-step snappy strategy or learning some new coping mechanisms or trying really hard. The only way for us is to partner with the Spirit, to follow the Spirit. And Paul reminds us, reminds a little church in Rome, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty.
The Spirit is peaceful. The Spirit is joyful and patient. The Spirit is kind and gentle and good. The Spirit is faithful. The Spirit is self-controlled. And most of all, the Spirit is loving. Love covers over a multitude of sins. And that's how God is calling Zerubbabel and Joshua not just to build or to lead, but to live and to love in the Spirit. I've told this story many times, but a few years ago, my brother was receiving his six-month sobriety token at this rehab center, and I got a chance to be there to celebrate. It was one of the coolest days ever. But the chaplain that was leading that gathering that morning spoke about this very passage to a bunch of people who were there to beat addiction. He said, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. He said, the goal is not getting really good at not doing bad. He said, the goal is to learn how to follow the spirit with our past, with our future, and with our present. And then he included a bit of the serenity prayer and living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, taking this world as it is and not as we would have it, trusting that you, God, will make all things right if we surrender to your will so that we may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. When the Spirit leads, there is freedom, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Look at verse 7. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. And then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Love this imagery of mountains. Many times in scripture, metaphorically, mountains represent like enormous tasks, like huge things. Sometimes metaphorically, mountains represent enemies, like enemies that are out there. I can hear God saying to Zerubbabel, I see these mountainous challenges that are before you. And I know that there are real enemies that would want to rule and reign over you. And maybe enemies within Zerubbabel that may want to rule and reign within you. But I'm the God of the mountains. And I'm the God of the seas. And I'm the God of the skies. Zerubbabel, before you, mountains will move and my people will shout, God bless it. God bless it. God bless it. Just a couple questions for you. What mountainous challenges are before you today? What enemies are encircling you or maybe dwelling within you, desire to dwell within you, enemies? Maybe it's not enemies out there. Maybe it's enemies in here. And then thirdly, most importantly, in the midst of these challenges, how are you trusting the leading of the Spirit? Not by might, not by strength, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. I'm not sure where you are today. I'm not sure what you're facing today. But can I just say, take hope, because ours is a God who still moves mountains. Jesus said 
Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Look again at the text, uh, verse eight and nine. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Uh, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the temple and his hands will also complete it. And then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The vision Zechariah receives says, if you'll follow the Spirit, not only will you get to start this project, but you'll get to complete it and God will bless it. God will bless it. God promises Zerubbabel, if you do it my way, if you'll do it my way, you'll get to see this project start and finish. It's amazing. Zerubbabel could have done it. He could have figured it out. He's the smart, he's the smart guy in town. He's the political leader. He could have made a way. Uh, he could have figured it out. But he probably knew Psalm 127.1 that said, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And then there's verse 10. Verse 10 might seem like an afterthought, but it is not an afterthought. Verse 10. Who dares despise the day of small things, since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hands of Zerubbabel. The seven eyes of the Lord. It's just the symbol that God is seeing. He's all seeing. He's all knowing. And just real quick, I just want to remind you that he sees you here and now. He's never lost track of you. He knows where you are. He knows how you are. And he's in it with you here and now. The eyes of the Lord, he's here and now. But then that very first phrase, who dares despise despise the day of small things? I think I've asked this question before. Anyone here a fan of small things? Not too many. Uh, Anyone, yeah. Was anyone raised in a church that was a fan of small things? Uh, not, 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 Not one hand went up. Man, not our church. Our church was a fan of big things. We were going to take down the world and we were going to do it before bedtime. Like that was the whole deal. We were going after it. There was not a lot of celebration of small things in the church that I grew up in. We celebrated those wild stories of like huge victories that take down the kingdom of evil. You know, that storm the gates of hell. We weren't into small things. We were too busy saving the world. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Paul gives us a vision of how to live into small things. This is uh, Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around kind of life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Small things like folding the laundry and changing diapers and making dinner and sitting in traffic listening to a friend. Some of you might be desirous of doing big things for God and maybe you're looking around and you're going, wow, I wish I could do something big for God like these people around me are doing big things. I want to do something amazing for you too. What if it just starts with being present with God just as you are right where you are? What if it starts with you just showing up as your honest self? Jesus tells this amazing story about faithfulness in Matthew 25. And he ends this story by saying, 
His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Jesus is inviting us to be faithful in the small things. And in his time, in his way, when he decides if he wants to give us more, he'll do it. But here and now, he's calling us to be faithful to the small things. I was reminded of this truth uh, last week in the craziest set of circumstances. I took my two-year-old granddaughter to the beach for two days, just the two of us, before everyone else arrived. Uh, Have I told you guys about my granddaughter? I got a couple pictures here. Heck yeah. We did all the small things. Uh, We read books, and we colored, and we swam in the pool, and we made beds to get ready for everybody else. And we sang, or I sang, and she mumbled along, and we prayed, and we said our prayers. And we accomplished absolutely nothing except tearing up the flower bed at the McDonald's on Hilton Head, but that's a whole other story for another day. We didn't even clean the kitchen to prepare it for when everybody else arrived because I was too exhausted to even think about how to clean the kitchen. I was totally wiped out. We didn't change the world an inch. But that kid changed my world. Yeah, a lot. Zerubbabel and Joshua faithfully lead God's people and over time, the church gets rebuilt. And lives find hope and meaning and laughter is restored and worship becomes intimate. And I don't know where you are in your ever-changing story, your spiritual journey that has stops and starts and twists and turns and suffering and celebration. I don't know where you are. But Zechariah is going to give us two more prophecies of hope to hold on to before the end of the book. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Zechariah Chapter 9, verse 9. This one might sound a little familiar if you've been around the church for a while. Verse 9 through verse 12. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Zechariah is prophesying the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus, which that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. And then it goes on, I will take away the chariots of Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken and he will proclaim peace to the nations and his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. One day, one day, he says, Messiah will come. And when he comes to these prisoners of hope, he will not just rebuild. He will not just restore. He will not just give you back what you had. He will restore twice as much to you. What a promise. 
And then here's how the book ends. It ends with a prophecy of the return of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, flip over to Zechariah chapter 14. This is verse six through nine. Zechariah 14, verses six through nine. And this is, is the message paraphrase. What a day that will be. <laughs> what a day. No more cold nights. In fact, no more nights. The day is coming. The timing is God's when it will be continuous day. Every evening will be a fresh morning. What a day that will be. Fresh flowing rivers out of Jerusalem, half to the Eastern Sea, half to the Western Sea, flowing year round, summer and winter. And God will be king over all the earth, one God and only one. What a day. What a day that will be. Let's pray together. What a day. God, give us endurance to persevere in this day as we long for that day. Give us your living hope in this day as we wait in hope for that day. Remind us that you are still in the business of big things like moving mountains and in the small things like laughter and tears. So give us today, this day, our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who have trespassed against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.